Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to our third episode of Ladies Leadership Coalition. Today, we are actually celebrating three different topics. So today, we are diving into the importance of networking, delegation, and motivation. And we have our panelists here. We are missing Blythe. So Blythe, we miss you. She's actually on vacation right now in Belize. So very happy for her and a little jealous uh, that she's probably floating on a raft somewhere in the ocean. But we are going to go forward and have a great show today on this. Uh, we have great panels. We have Sharon Sire with us today. Again, Liz Wayne, Christy Knitchell, and Charlie Shafro. And I am going to be the moderator of the day. So I'm Nicole Glenn. And we are going to just dive right in today. So ladies, I always love starting the conversation with just some general roundtable discussions. These three topics, I feel like we could have broken them down into three different shows. So I think this is gonna be jam packed with some, some good stuff today. So I'm gonna throw the first question out there and I would love to hear, I was very curious uh, actually writing this question up is, if there's one thing that you could tell your former self to do differently with networking, what would that be? I'll start. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, the, I think one of the things that I tell everybody is just the fact of not being afraid to put yourself out there and talk to people and ask questions because it took me a very long time to get to that point. But once I did, things just took off. And that's probably the biggest piece of advice I give to people even today um, while I'm trying to mentor other women. Yeah, you can't be shy. And that's what I would tell myself I, for the the longest time I would go to a networking event and I just kind of stand over in the corner, afraid to talk to someone. And uh, I, I would tell myself today, get out there and get and make yourself known because it only helps you. Uh, you you go there to meet people that can help your career or or whatever you're you're looking for when you go to a networking event. But if you don't put yourself out there, it's you might as well not go. I do want to ask you guys, I'm kind of going off topic already, but have you ever gone to a networking event where it's been, the show or conference has been going on forever? So everyone knows everybody and there's all these little clusters of people and everyone's talking. It seems like there's no floaters in the room that you can like go, hey, Lifeline, like let's chat. How, how do you guys combat that? I know Sharon, you just said, you know, try try to get some confidence and do that. But they're mid conversation on some of these things. What do you guys do in situations like that? I think it's all about just being friendly and just being genuine. And um, you know, exactly what you ladies are saying. It takes a lot of courage, but sometimes I, I think we're all in the same position. We go to these conferences, and it's like a you know a good old boys club. They've been working together and knowing each other for years. But something as simple as, you know, saying to a woman, I like your shoes, or you see someone in the bathroom and strike up a conversation, that usually leads to you make eye contact with them out on the floor and they kind of pull you into the conversation. So I'm the person who like walks down the street and I make eye contact with everyone. I say hi to everyone. I think it drives my husband crazy, but it's like, that's how I would want to be treated. And, you know, hopefully there's there's people like that that are welcoming at these conferences and, and include you in the conversations. And Liz, I know that you raised your hand to throw something out there. 
Well, you know, as you opened the question, it's like, yeah, that's the first couple of TIA conferences because, yeah. you know, that's what TIA is, is you build relationships, you build your network, and you're excited to see everybody the next year. And I don't think that people are necessarily trying to exclude people. I think it's just you've made friends formerly and you're excited to see them. Um, but for new people, you know, if it's one of your first conferences, you don't have that group yet, you know, but what I found is everyone's very inviting. I mean, you know, and the best way to kind of disarm those, what could be an awkward situation is to just put it on the table, walk up to a small group. Hey, I don't really know a lot of people here. Can I join you? You know, and 99% of the time they're going to welcome you with open arms. So just to put any anxiety or awkwardness right on the table for people, tell them you're new, tell them it's your first time and you will, you know, get more from them as the entire event unfolds than just that initial conversation. I have found too that when I go to conferences, I know we, we're just talking about conferences right now, which networking is way beyond just conferences, but there's been times where I'll walk up and just say, you know, hey, I'm new here or hey, can I join you guys? The best place to really start that out is there's always some sort of like bar scene or table scenes that they have set up and just being, okay, I got this and being brave and walking in and just finding a seat and sitting down and going, hi, how are you? You know, it, yep. it really, it's scary at first, but after a little while, it, it, it does come through. But I remember my first one where I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I have <laughs> three days. Yeah. Terrible. Years of not wanting to do it. And then just doing it because, again, like Liz said, I mean, you see the same people year after year. They know you, you know them, but then nobody's talking. So I actually just forced myself to go up and say, hi, I'm Christy, you know. Who are you? What do you do? Try to have the conversation. And then, you know, years go by and now like you can go up to a lot of people. It's a lot easier, but you just got to force that situation. So I'm going to hop on to the next question. I consider this a hot seat question. I actually wrote an article about this myself in the past when we were stepping into COVID. You know, I always thought that it was going to be more challenging with managers and business leaders to really delegate their work because we have all this work that hits us all day long, little random things or projects. And now you don't see people every day. And so I thought it was a great way to just throw it out there as a business leader to try to tell people what the secret would be. How do you approach your boss to ask for more of their, I guess you could say responsibilities, get them to delegate more to you. So I did want to ask that as a hot seat question, is there a secret as a business owner or business leader that you guys can throw out there to potential people or employees on how they could approach their business leader to get that trust. So that way they're, they can get delegated more, more, uh, uh, more things in their role. I feel one very thing. strongly about this one. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Liz. No, go ahead, Sharon. Well, now the, what I was going to say is one thing I've learned over the years is having one-on-ones with your employees. And uh, I do, I've always done weekly one-on-ones, 30 minutes. And that's where you find out uh, about your employees, uh, their personal, their past, their present, the future, what they want to do. And once you uh, find, once they get comfortable with you, they'll start telling you where where they want to go in their career. And if you're a good leader, you're going to 
to, to pull that information out of them. And then once you know where they want to go, that's when you find the right people to delegate certain things to. Because if, if they want to go into, say, learning development or they want to go into training, well, then you start working with them and delegate them to train you people in your office. Uh, or if they want to get into management, you give them more responsibility to lead different projects. So, if, but you've got to learn, you have to get to know your employees and then you feel better about delegating and they'll be more responsive because you're delegating to them what they want to do to further their career. So with that question, Sharon, when you have random projects or things that come up and maybe your employees not asking for that, and, and yes, you're having these one-on-ones with them, but how do you delegate something that you're not sure that they're capable of doing and then expressing to them that, hey, this could really be how I'm pushing you forward in your career? How do you have that conversation? Again, you just have to, you know, if you have an, an idea about their personality, if they might be, uh, they might be good at that. They just don't realize it that uh, realize it yet. Just bring them in the office and say, "Hey, I've got this project. I think you'd be good at it. This is what it's going to entail. Do you think you'd enjoy doing this? Learn a little more, take a little more responsibility because I really need your help." And it, and I said, "You don't have to if you don't want to." You know, if you don't feel comfortable with it, but I really think it would be a good project for you to do. And that gives that just lets them know that you have the confidence in them. And then you tell them and work with them that you're going to help them. You're going to mentor them in it and you're not going to let them fail. And even if they make a mistake, that's okay. As long as I know about it, we can fix it. But if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. So and that's what I've always told all my employees is I never get mad at you for making a mistake only if you don't tell me about it. So um, so that's just the way I approach it. Well, I think you said a great word there. You said help. I think when anyone ever throws it out that they are looking for help, it makes people that much more open to want to take on something like that. So Liz, what was your uh, viewpoint that you wanted to share? You know, for me, what just as a business owner and leader, what gives me the warm fuzzies when I leave a conversation with employees um, is that they've asked a lot of questions because I've had employees misinterpret a project or um, the end goal of what we're going for with something. And, you know, by the time you realize they're off track, sometimes a lot of time has been spent uh, going down that wrong road. And so I know for me, it's like, that's my number one thing. If, if, if I'm tasking somebody with something or they are looking for more responsibility within the company, um, the more questions they ask me about the project, the role, you know, when I'm interviewing somebody for a new position, I want to be interviewed right back. Um, that's really what leaves me feeling comfortable, confident, and willing to hand some of that stuff over is when I feel that they have asked the appropriate questions that we're definitely on the same page. And it is our job to get them that information. Um, but at the same time, you know, we just know what we want in our head. I know I'm a better visualizer than communicator. And so, you know, when, when someone asks me a hundred questions, I leave the room feeling like they've got it, you know? Um, so for me, that's the number one thing. Ask questions, try to figure out where I'm going, what I'm thinking, um, 
because the higher my comfort level is with delegation, you know, the better things are going to go. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think, oh, go ahead, Charlie. I'm so yeah. sorry. Go for it. No, that's okay. I was going to say, I think that when you delegation, the one thing that's really underrated is we all think about the person taking on the task is the one that is really being challenged, but it's really challenging as a leader to delegate. And I know we've all probably struggled with it. And it's that whole notion of like, I could do it better. I could do it faster. I don't want to bother everyone. But a big thing about it is I think choosing who you delegate to. And I kind of think of it twofold. One, I'm going to delegate something to someone who is stronger in that area than I am, because I know they can do it better than me and they can accomplish it quicker and smoother. Or I'm going to delegate to someone who needs the exposure. And in those situations, like you have to make yourself available throughout the project. You have to communicate what you're expecting from them. So it really falls on the leader more than we think, because um, you just kind of assume, okay, the person taking on the task is the one that's going to have to chug through it. But you really have to put a lot of thought into how you delegate and then how you manage the communication and the relationship through the entirety of the project. And being transparent, too. I mean, I don't know about you, ladies, but one of the things in a great book that I've read, and I wish I could come up with what the title was, but it was it was diving into the topic that, oh, it was um, a candor book. It's actually called, um, oh, my gosh, I will tell you guys in a second. I'm having a brain moment. But she was saying that constantly managers will delegate and then they will get the result back and not talk through the entire expectation that they had. And then the person's like, here you go, here's my work. And they go, okay, thanks. Instead of taking the time to saying, hey, this didn't hit my expectation. This is why they just let the employee or you know whoever took on that project just think that they had done a good job because the leader felt uncomfortable to approach them to say, hey, there was something more that we could do. Or we didn't think to utilize this tool or talk through this. And so it creates an issue with not being transparent when you are delegating, even if you're not getting the result back that you were looking for, because then the next time, if you're known to hoard that work yourself, you're going to go, well, I can't trust so-and-so with that because they didn't get it done properly. When ultimately it could have been the leader that could have just said, Hey, and that person could have fixed whatever issue that they had done or not done. So Mercy, did you have anything that you wanted to add on this? I will just add a little bit. I think all the ladies covered it pretty well, to be quite honest. Um, I will say, you know, there's a couple of things here. There's employees that you might feel that wouldn't want to take on a project, but they want to feel empowered. So I think me asking them or, you know, whoever the leader might be asking them to do a project sometimes makes them feel that you're actually think that much of them to actually do this project for them and take care of it for you because there's those people that will never really say that. And then we have found that then they'll want to do more. Um, I even had a situation today where my director of pricing was talking to me about another organization and I just told her I really don't have a lot of time right now, but maybe I'll look into it. Um, and she actually offered to look into it for me and get all the information for me and bring it to me, um, which, you know, this is someone that's very involved in a lot of different things within my organization, which is great. Um, so there's people then that just take it upon themselves to do it. And then obviously my director of marketing, she's another person that 
I just know the bandwidth she has and how good she is. And I can throw everything I can at her and she's going to get it done super fast. Um, so there's a lot of different ways, you know, to do it. But I think that people, as far as like an employee wanting to take on more work to, to, you know, build up their career and learn more, um, you know, it is a lot of what you're all saying, talking to the employees, knowing who they are, what they can do, if you feel this might help them get to the next level and doing a test. I think giving some of them a test of the task to see if they can do it, maybe rise to the occasion when maybe they thought they couldn't or you thought they couldn't. So that's my advice. I think that's great to have just mm -hmm. little mini, mini tests throughout to see what their capabilities are with it and how they respond. That book is called Radical Candor. I had to turn around <laughs> and look at my bookshelf. It's by Kim Scott. <laughs> so that's a great book. You guys should all check it out. So I was going to go on to this next question too, because we're bouncing around with these topics, but in your career, how has motivation played a role in your success? So who wants to take that one to start? I know it's a huge question. I'll start. Okay. So obviously, I think we all know with motivation, everyone has a reason for their motivation. My motivation, I think, was proving myself to my father, to the men in the industry, my family, um, anyone, even including myself, that I could actually do the job. Most people that know me, or maybe they don't know, I didn't complete college. I did some, didn't finish it all. And I felt like because I didn't have that, that I kind of... Um, was not worthy maybe of um, doing what I had to do. So it made me more motivated to prove to everybody that I could do the job. And I think to this day, 24 years into my career, I'm still motivated to keep going and showing that I can keep climbing and doing more. And the biggest motivation I would say I have now on top of that is truly just my son, my family, knowing that what I'm doing is taking care of my family. And if I'm not motivated, then that's not going to happen. I completely agree. I kind of relate it to um, the the feeling after you do something that is rewarding. So, um, you know, anyone who's ever like gotten on a treadmill to run for 30 minutes, it's not fun. The 29 minutes of running is awful and you push yourself. But I find that I'm really addicted to like that last minute and taking that last step and being like, I did it. And I think that's something that really motivates me in business too, is you put your heart and soul into something. And yes, we've got, you know, disappointments along the way, but when you have a positive outcome, that's what inspires and motivates me to do it again. Is like, if I could just get to that place again, where I feel lighter and I feel like I've made an impact and I've inspired and also been inspired. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's like that last minute of your workout where you're like, this is why I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Um, really applies to business as well. Yeah, for me, I mean, motivation drives the car. I mean, it's, it's, everything. And as I've been thinking about this show here the last couple of days, I've reflected on how my motivation has changed over the last 20 years. And it's definitely changed a number of times, I would say, but at all points of my career and no matter what is the current motivation, it's always driving the car. It's always the driver. Yeah, I agree because 
different seasons of your life, your motivations change. You know, you want different things. You know, at one point you want to uh, raise your kids and get your kids through school and, and you want to have a career and you want to uh, be promoted. I mean, there's just so many different things that motivate you in life. And, um, and just staying positive is the hardest thing to do. And you go, this isn't working. But most of the time, it falls back into the delegation part. If you don't delegate, you don't have time to do the things that you want to do that motivate you to achieve what you want to achieve. So if anything, delegation has taught me if I want to uh, be motivated to accomplish the things I want to accomplish, I have to delegate. I have to, to spend time uh, where I keep my mind as positive as possible not always look at the negative, look towards the positive and wake up in the morning and just start your day on a positive note and think about, I'm very visual. I have to kind of have a vision board of where I want to be and write down my goals and things like that so that I can stay motivated and I can reward myself when I achieve smaller uh, goals and bigger goals. And uh, and if, if it's not working, then you've got to sit down and, and restructure it. But all that is about the motivation just to keep going. I agree with that too. And I struggle with motivation. And what I mean by that is this humongous concept of it. Like you, Sharon, I have a board in front of me. It's actually right in front of me. It's all these little post-it notes of things that I want to do in different categories. But I have to go year by year and month by month and break it down because I get the question a lot. I don't know about you ladies, but it's like, what does your life look like in 10 years? And I'm like, shit, I don't know. Like, <laughs> There's so many different things that that could happen in the next 10 years. And that's why you have those big goal sets, like you guys had said, with how family motivates you and your business and what you want to accomplish. But for me, keeping that open a little bit more of like, I'm motivated by the unknown. I'm motivated to know that there's no ceiling and that, we create our own limits on what those what those are. And so to to not cap myself is my motivator. And it's so hard to like convey that when people are always like, what is your driving force? I'm like, the fact that it's whatever I want it to be, you know? So it's it's interesting to see and hear everyone's different, different sides of it. But I was in, in regards to these topics, when we talk about these three things, so we have motivation, delegation and networking. Out of all of those lead to success, right? So for you, which one of those is the most impactful towards your career and towards your success? I would say networking for me. They're all important, but I think networking has really put me on a whole nother playing field or level, I guess you could say. The people that I have met that have been able to give me knowledge or share knowledge with them and just help you throughout your career has been just so rewarding. And without that network, I think it would be a lot more difficult and I might be in a different place without that. And I feel like even at this point in my career, it's even more important now because when we're going through challenges, being able to reach out to someone who can help you where if you don't have that network, you don't have someone that you can maybe reach out to help you. I Liz, agree with that. Liz, yeah. do you have insight on which has been the most impactful for you? For me, I would say delegation. So 
everybody has, you know, different goals and visions. I mean, you know, mine for ABLE is I want to be a big business. I want to be a force within the industry. Uh, scale does not come without massive delegation and trust in others. So just because of just my individual goals and vision for my company, I'd say delegation 100%. Sharon? Yeah, I think it used to be um, more of uh, the uh, motivation, and it's still a huge part of what I do. But now it's more networking because I have found that you really can't grow unless you have a good solid network and friends. And these these people that you're networking with, they do become solid friendships. They want you to succeed, which motivates you to want to succeed more because they're pushing you. And so I really think that um, the, the networking part is just a, a huge important part of, of, of what you do. I belonged to a networking group one time and it was a, a different than going to a trade show or whatever. It was a group of people in all different uh, areas of business and your company had to be a certain, had to have a certain revenue stream, you know, in order to join. It's about 20 people. And it was very challenging because we met twice a month at seven o'clock in the morning. But you had to come in with a new, uh, what do you call it, an elevator pitch, a 30 second elevator pitch on how to sell yourself to a new client or, or a person that you're just meeting. And it was very, uh, and then they graded you, you know, you are, you had to give up, get up and give a presentation of your company and they would grade you on how you did. You know, if you said, uh, too many times or, and, uh, they'd have a little button that they would push it, but it helped you grow. And then the purpose of this group was to introduce you to people, that would help your business because we all know different people in our networks. So you could tell them, I say, I'm really trying to meet a person at this company. I can't get through through to them on the phone. Does anybody know this person? Nine times out of ten, they did. So they would make an introduction for you and recommend you. So it was just a really good networking program to help you grow your business, help me to be more confident. Um, because that was very uncomfortable for me to do. And so, uh, anyway, it was a really good, but so I think networking is, is where, where you have to get involved if you want to grow. Charlie, what, what's it for you? Yeah. I mean, definitely networking in the business of recruiting. It's all about connecting people. And, um, you know, I think there's so much power in an introduction. And if we all like took a step back and thought of, different introductions that we've made along the way and how that impacted our life. And I'm not just saying introducing a candidate to a hiring company, they interview, they get the job. There's so much more to it. And, you know, they get the job, it changes their life. It changes their lifestyle. It changes the whole trajectory of their career. So I think of it a lot like sliding doors, the movie, if you guys remember that, it's like, everything is about timing and it's just that that moment that you might reach out you might take the opportunity to network with someone can change everything um i think like going back to your very first question nicole um if i if i had to tell my younger self something i think about networking is what i can do for them not what they can do for me so when i am brought into a conversation or i'm introduced to someone 
I'm always really thinking, how can I help this person? And sometimes it's not clear to me. You know, sometimes I'm like, ah, do they even want to hear what I have to say? Do I bring value? But there's always value in human connection. Maybe I'm not going to teach them something new about business, but um, hopefully you put a smile on their face and they walk away feeling good. Um, but there's just think of those those introductions that have really impacted everything. And it's just you know sometimes it's one one email, one handshake that really makes a big difference. Can I add to that too? What I would love to share with networking as well is even with customers. So like if I have a customer that we're trying to work on something for and it's something that's not in our wheelhouse or we can't do, but we can do other pieces of their business. I've done introductions to other competitors for these customers in the past couple of weeks. And what that has done is brought me more business from that customer on another side that we can handle because I've helped them in another way that I can't help them right now. And that's something that I feel comes back tenfold. And not only that, just people utilizing me for my network, like I'm campaigning for someone right now to win a specific award because I think this person is deserving. And I'm emailing, you know, people from all these big companies and then just the emails that I'm getting back, I'm just like kind of blown away. And then I want to be able to share that with you all and everybody that I know, because again, what you're all saying is being able to share that network for what we can do for them to me is more rewarding than what they can do for me. So it's great stuff. Yeah. And I think it circles around. I mean, how many of you guys have someone that you just helped and maybe they step into a different position or, who knows? I mean, I've had it to where it's six, seven years later and they're like, Hey, you helped me. And I would love to help you with blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's happened to me, not just once. I mean, many times mm -hmm. and those bonds that you create with people are not all about just money and making, you know, business moves, but it's just learning and exchanging information. So it is, I think so important. Um, I'm going to hop into our next topic of delegating. So I know we're going to go on Liz's hot button right now and, and hop <clears> into that. And I pulled an article which had some interesting uh, comments in it. It's from 20, 2007. So I know that this is old, but at the same time, I can still see this being very relevant uh, in today. And it was a, a study that found that half of 332 companies surveyed were concerned about their employees' delegation skills. So it's not even about owners and managers. It, it keeps going down the line of teaching our people how to delegate. But at the same time, only 28% of those companies offered any training on this topic. Most people will tell you they are too busy to delegate. And so there was a funny quote and it said, more uh your most important task as a leader is to teach people how to think, ask the right questions, so the world doesn't go to hell if you take the day off. And that was by a gentleman named Jeffrey Pfeiffer that I thought was, that was true. You know, that's one of the things I'm always telling my team is like, don't you want to have a day off of work where you don't feel like you have to answer the phone and everybody knows where they're at and what, what's going on? So I thought that was a great topic. But I know that it's a struggle um, for people with, with being able to delegate, it's still a struggle for me on some things. I mean, there's, I like to have everything very black and white in everyone's roles. Um, so there's these little oddball tasks that pop up that don't really fit anyone's role. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll do that. Well, I guess I'll do that. 
but yet I, I try to preach it to my team. I mean, it is a constant that I tell people like, you know, why wouldn't you turn something like this over? So it's no matter what stage I feel, I don't know, you guys can totally correct me if, if you guys are totally spot on with the delegating side. For me, it's been evolving. And once I delegate all of those tasks, I fall into another set of things that hit my plate that I have to learn how to delegate again. So it's just this constant cycle of like who, what, where, when. So um, delegation is, it's just, it's just very, very hard for people to uh, overcome and handle. So Liz, with this being your hot button, I, I would love to hear how you think that leaders fall short in, in when it comes to delegation. Yeah, I, we definitely fall short. Um, and I think, you know, you you alluded to it right there. It's hard. It's one of the hardest um, things to do. And so a lot of our motivation in that is going to be kind of internal or based on our circumstances or whatnot, um, which just comes to you. You know, it's there or it isn't. Delegation is hard and it has to be learned. It's not just... Um, especially, you know, for, for leaders, it doesn't, it, if you have made it to that point in your career that you're leading others, you're probably pretty good at your job, um, which then just makes delegating even more difficult. But um, Nicole, a couple of episodes me mentioned Vistage, and I'm also a Vistage member in the Omaha chapter. And uh, we recently had a speaker in who really answered this question uh, that you just posed, Nicole, but uh, why do leaders fall short in delegation? Well, there's a study and this is science. Now I don't have his exact numbers because I'm on vacation. I'm not at home with his uh, research, but it was something along the lines of when you delegate something, 60% comes back not to your expectation. 30% comes back to your expe expectation, but they got to it a different way that you would have. And less than 10% comes back to your expectation expectation the way you would have done it. So that answers our question right there. And as leaders, our job becomes getting results through others. And if we consider those stats I just gave you, I think it's easy to see why, why we fall short. Um, for me personally, you know, like I mentioned, scaling is, is a huge part of, of what I'm trying to do. And so um, it's something I had to work through and it's been very challenging for me. I think I'm definitely much better than I was five years ago. But for me, it's like constantly going back to, I think it was Steve Jobs that said, hire good people and then get out of their way. Um, but what happened, so I've, I think I've done that over the last couple of years. And when you get out of their way, the business changes a little bit and it, it kind of uh, morphs a little bit. And so then if you should swoop back down from 30,000 feet, you're kind of like, well, this all, it looks a little bit different. It feels a little bit different. Um, and you have to really accept that, you know, some for the good, some for the bad, but either way you have to accept it. Um, if, you know, your goal is like mine and you want to scale and grow. And I think that we fall short because this is where we're really selfish. I'll just challenge all of you with that thought that we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to empower people and we want to get results through them. Yet we want them to do it just the way we want it done. <laughs> and 
and you can't have both. I'm going to say it right now. You, that's It's very selfish of us to be in that mindset that we can have our cake and eat it too, because we absolutely cannot. So, you know, at that point, the leader has to reflect on what they want. You know, do they want a small business that they control every aspect of? Or do they want a big business that might morph into something, you know, outside of them, a little different than them? Um, but I'll say it right there. We're, we're selfish. That's why... Uh, that's why we fall short in that area. I agree with what you said, Liz. Um, one of the things that the guy, um, John Christick runs my company. He's been with me for 15 years. And there was like a group of us, like six or eight of us that have been here from the beginning and now we're over 50 employees. And the one thing we would always say is, I wish we could clone ourselves. I wish we could clone ourselves. And that was part of failing and delegating because as we're all moving up through the company, we're having to delegate all these different things to the new people. And as we train them and, and give them that authority and that power and the same token, like you said, we're selfish. We want them to do it exactly the way that we're doing it and things evolve. Um, but what I will say as the leader of my company, it's been difficult, but when I did let go, like you mentioned, and let them do what they need to do, things have morphed, things have changed, and things have happened that I couldn't do myself. And knowing that these other people here know a lot more about some of these things that I didn't know and have gotten my company to where it is today as a group effort in trusting these people. So that's why delegating is so important. But it's taking you a long time, Christy, and constantly circling back. Yep. And sort of the new things that hit your plate that you go, okay, we got to redo this again and do it again and do it again. Yeah. I wish it was just something you could just tie with the bow and be like, I delegated. I'm good. I'm out. I'll see you guys. Well, nope. <laughs> well, and this is the thing now, like what Liz says is I'm trying to do the same thing. We're trying to scale. We're trying to get bigger. And then there's new, you know, issues or problems or good things, whatever they are, but they're all new that come on your plate and trying to figure out how you do that. So now, I mean, even I'm just going to throw this out there, the woman that owns certification process. Now I'm trying to figure out how to delegate that to someone. And, you know, because that's a painful process to go through. Um, and I need that off my plate because I have more important stuff to do to get to the next level. So, yeah, it takes a long time. But I think everything that Liz said, everything that you guys were saying, I mean, it's just spot on. Love it. So, Turtle, I'm going to shift over to you. Because with with you, you've made this leap and you are running a full remote team and it's been very wonderful for you and, and your, your company. Mm -hmm. So how have you been able to delegate open items to your team effectively when you're, they haven't been sitting, you know, right there for you? How do you, how do you do that on a daily? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think just kind of weighing in on, on what Liz and Christy said, like there's so much ego involved and you really sometimes just have to take a step back and realize like you're the one getting in your own way. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that my team, I have a team of very good managers that know how to communicate. They know how to cross collaborate. That is not my biggest strength, but I think that because they can keep their team members accountable, that is probably the, the biggest piece of the puzzle is they're tucking in, they're guiding them, they're following up. Um, like I personally learned a good lesson recently since we've been remote, we took on a consulting project. So non-recruiting, but um, we do some consulting work for some of our clients as well. And 
this was the type of work I would have always done. And I probably would have been up till midnight, like crunching numbers and, you know, trying to extract the right data. And I was kind of forced to delegate it because I didn't have time and, and I was going to be out of the office. And I was so proven wrong. The person I delegated it to did such a better job than me. And then once we turned in the assignment and we heard back from the clients and they were like, this was fantastic, more than I ever expected. I was like, wow, get out of your own way because it would have taken me longer. The quality would not have been as good. And just the satisfaction of getting a compliment from a client from a project I wasn't involved in, that was actually better satisfaction than someone patting me on the back and saying like, you did a good job. I was like, my team did a good job. And what a breath of fresh air to not be involved, just to kind of see the beginning, a, a check in in the middle, and then the end result. Um, so you just kind of have to experience, it's like back to my treadmill example, just experience those moments and realize that, you know, you will get stronger, there may be bumps in the road. Um, but if you delegate something, and even if they get it 80% to the way you wanted it, you gave them an opportunity and now you have to clean it up. And honestly, no one's going to recognize that 20%. Like they, they did the job that, that needed to be done. Sharon, I did want to ask you when, you know, you've been in consulting and dealing with a lot of different managers and leaders. And when you step into an organization and you're, you're looking at a management, you know, person running the show, what are some of the warning signs uh, to, to say and realize that maybe this this leader or manager hasn't been successful at delegating properly? Uh, I think the number one thing is stress level. If they're so stressed out because they're working longer hours, they're constantly, you know, they don't go to lunch. They're, they just seem to be um, intense about everything they're they're on the verge of yelling at everybody all the time and then you see their their employees and you know they go home on time uh, they're not too busy they're uh, they seem to you know just be skating through the day or uh, they just have a lack of interest in what's going on they're just there for a paycheck it doesn't take long to figure it out you're not delegating and you're not empowering your people and you're not growing your company because there's a trust issue there. And so I think there's a, and if there is a, a, a lot of turnover, that means that you're not doing something right to keep those employees uh, interested in what you're doing and part of the company. So, that's, I think that's the main thing, but you can usually see the stress on someone's face and in their body language and, uh, and you, or their OCD, they just, they just can't let it go. Like everybody said, they, they're perfectionists. It's easier just to do it than to try to train somebody to do it or turn it over to them and let them see if they can figure out how to do it better, faster, easier. Uh, and one of my pet peeves has always been when you hire somebody, there's something about them that you really like, that they can bring a talent to your business. And then when they get there, you don't let them do it. I mean, because you've always done it the same way all the time. And so nobody's willing to change. Nobody's willing to step out of that comfort zone. And, and I think that hurts more businesses in the long run than anything else. And so I, I had an aha moment one time with one of my employees. Um, he was an intern 
And one of the projects I always gave an intern is after you've been here for 20 weeks, I want you to do a project to improve my office. What did you see that we're lacking? And you come up with a way to improve and bring it to me. That was part of the, of the, uh, as one of the 10 steps they had to do in order to finish their internship. Well, I had this one person who was, and I've never been really good with IT. So I told him one time, I said, I have this report I have to do every Friday. It takes me two to three hours to do it. It was all manual. Uh, and I said, if you can help me figure out a way to do this report easier, faster, uh, and still get the same information that I'm doing manually, you know, that's, that's what I need. And I'll give you a really good report on your internship. <laughs> he came back and I could do that report every Friday in 15 minutes because he had just pulled from all these different sources and he proved to me that delegating that I should have asked two years before for somebody to do that for me, but I was too stubborn. I'd had to be done this way. So sometimes you just have to take that step of faith. And, but that's one thing when I'm talking to people, let go of the way you've always done it because it will ruin your business. Yep. That's like one of our mantras is our way is the evolving way. That's, all, that's how we say it. There is no way. It's just an evolving way. Always changing, always improving. That's awesome. Yeah. We had an employee who recently said something to someone else too. Like, well, we've always done it this way. Again, it's like, yeah, but we have to keep evolving and do how things are changing and just make changes as they come. And my dad always said, if you're not changing, you're going to disappear. Yeah. yeah. There's a book out there called, I can't remember who wrote it. If it's not broke, break it. You know, because it helps you and it's a really good book to read because it helps you get through change and to do, you know, to because you you will get better. I'm writing that down. I always love Me too. recommendations. It's like I'm sad moving on to different topics. There's so much good stuff to talk about with some of these topics. We might have to host another show on some of these. Uh, things, but I'm just going to move on to motivation. And I was also going to share a book that I had read that was very impactful to me. And it was called The One Thing. And it was by Gary Keller because I have squirrel syndrome where it's like squirrel. And I'm always like just going a million miles an hour. My husband jokes about it all the time. She saw a squirrel. I could be in the middle of a, a sentence and all of a sudden squirrel, I'm somewhere else. So um, in this book, it's all focused on basically motivation and as well as focusing in on one thing, whether that, I mean, just getting down to the nitty gritty of one thing that leads to all of these different things in your business or your personal life to have this domino effect from this book. And one of the um, aha moments from that book for me was understanding the difference between willpower and motivation. So I used to, I used to mess this up. I used to think that if I didn't have that constant state of willpower going, that I was not motivated. So I would go, well, I'm not really motivated right now. And it's, no, I didn't have the willpower to continue on with the task. And so there was this little excerpt that I wanna share with you guys that I found in an article, uh, cause they have a great blog that comes out every, I think it's every day I receive stuff from, from this, the one thing. And it says, willpower and motivation go hand in hand. 
Once you're motivated to do something, you will need willpower to follow through and get it done. The problem with willpower is that it's not on will call. It can't be summoned on command or tapped at a moment's notice. Willpower is a finite resource that is easily depleted. And so, it, it, like I said, it made me go, yeah, I have to look at motivation as a bigger concept of what I'm being motivated towards. But again, running out of willpower, there's nothing wrong with that. You can't constantly tap in to go, hey, it's five o'clock. I really want to go home, but I'm just going to stay here and and get all these, you know, next 12 things done. It's it's knowing that to when to recognize your willpower is done, step away and then come back. So it's a great book if you guys ever wanted to take a look into that. But um, I wanted to dive into this topic and ask you, Charlie, you know, what do you believe are some ways that you keep yourself motivated personally and professionally? Yeah, just on the, on the willpower um, subject, you know, I think that we could probably all admit that there are just days where you wake up and like you feel the fire in your belly. And then there's days where you wake up and you're like, how am I going to make it? And I've learned to like give myself a little grace there and realize that like I have to ride the wave when it's in front of me. And so if I have that fire, even if it is a Sunday afternoon, like put it on paper, do the work. And then I can give myself a little permission on Thursday afternoon when I'm feeling totally burnt to just, you know, step back or do some mindless work. Um, but when you think about like motivation, I go back, I think I talked about this on a, an episode a couple weeks ago, but um, there's an assessment test called the four tendencies. I don't know if any of you ladies have done it, but it's um, by Gretchen Rubin, who is an author. And I think she's a psychologist. And it really, um, you go through this, this series of questions and it forces you to think about why you are accountable. Are you accountable because other people count on you? Are you accountable because you count on yourself? And my results came back that I'm a questioner, which means that if it's important to me, I'll do it. Um, and it's, it's very selfish. And I had to like take a step back and be like, oh my gosh, I never realized like I only do stuff that's important to me but I've shared this with my team and we've talked about it a lot. And now my team knows that if they need something from me, this is why we need you to focus on this because in the long run, it's going to help you, Charlie, or it's going to benefit something we've been talking about that I know is on your mind. And so sometimes it's just like a little self-discovery. Like there's so much psychology in the way we behave and understanding like what drives us. Um, I'm grateful that, that I've got that self-motivation and it came from, you know, experiences in my childhood that, that probably were good and bad and you just kind of have to be the most of it. But personal discovery, knowing what gets you ticking, I think has, has changed a lot for me and allowed me to really recognize the moments when I've got something to offer and, and back off when I just don't feel like that day. Yeah, and I was going to throw this out to Liz, who's another Vistage member. We have to take, I don't know if your group did, I did, the performance index test, right? Did you have to do that? I, I've i taken it some years ago. Okay. And this is the same concept, Carly, where you're able to see all of those things that make you tick, how you work, how your expectations would be. And it, it charts it all out in these different factors. And so your whole team can take these tests and then you can see how your team members 
would react in certain situations? Are they the right person in the seat for maybe something you want to delegate for them? It is a very, very cool exercise to do. And when you, you, how you said like you're selfish, you know, that's how, that's not, it's just your characteristics. That's just what, how you tick. And so understanding the psychology of yourself and your entire team just really opens up how you would talk to someone or have expectation of someone else. So it can be something really cool for you to look into. So Liz, I didn't know if you had done it as of late. We utilize it in our Vistage uh, sessions and how we sit in different sessions with people. And they're like, oh yeah, Nicole, she's a strong A. She's a back C. And they utilize this lingo. And I'm like, I know, I'm crazy. What do you want? So it's, cool, it's a really cool thing to do. So you're interested. So Sharon, I'm, I'm bouncing back to you and talking about goal setting and motivation. How do you create that board that you said that you utilize and how do you use that to stay motivated to get these things done? Well, I'm a big believer in goal setting uh, because if you don't have goals, you really don't know where you want to go. And so I believe in short term goals, long term goals and cut yourself some break, a break if you if you don't reach them, you know, because they're goals. We don't always achieve every goal that we that we put out there. But I believe in writing goals down and uh, and giving myself a pat on the back or a little reward when I hit those goals. But I, it's like I said, it's kind of like the vision board. When I write those down, I look at it and I, every morning I set goals of what I want to accomplish that day. And what do I want to accomplish at the end of the week? And what do I want to accomplish at the end of the month and next year and five years from now? Where do I see myself? And honestly, it changes drastically <laughs> because we change our minds. We're creatures of change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and now as I'm at the uh, a different stage in my career, my goals have changed totally. So my goals are what can I do now? to help other people reach their goals. That, that's my goal now. And so I have to come up with different ways to uh, that I can talk to people, learn their personalities. I read a lot and, and it helps me to stay motivated that way. But I also have to, I, I listen to positivity things, you know, to keep me motivated because I have a tendency to get, um, to get down easily. If I don't hit something fast enough, I'll kind of get depressed or, or I think, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm, fa I'm failing. You can't think like that. You have to constantly talk to yourself saying, okay, you didn't make it today, but you can make it tomorrow. And, and I have to do this because I have people that depend on me to, to help them. And if I can't do it for myself, how am I going to help anybody else? And so, uh, I have to live it by my experiences, think back on my failures. And, and that I think we have failures because that's how we relate to other people. They, they'll trust us because we've experienced those things and we've lived through it. And so that's, I, I know it's a long roundabout way of saying this, but that's how I stay motivated because I remind myself, you've lived through this, you've survived it, you can do more, you can do it, you can get through this, you can get, through, you know, if you can't get through it, find somebody to help you get through it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's constant self-talk. 
And I will say this, uh, somebody gave us a, uh, was in a group and they gave us this activity do and they gave us a sheet of paper and they told us to write down 10 things that we would like to accomplish. Didn't matter what it was. What did we want to do? And it, it didn't have to be about business. It didn't have it, just 10 things that you really, really, really wanted to do uh, in the next year. And I wrote things down like, I'd like to go to Maui. You know, <laughs> I wanted to win an award at work. I, I mean, it was just different. It was all over the place. And it, then she she put it in an envelope. She sealed it. And at the end of the year, she handed it back to us. And she said, read what you wrote down and how many of these things did you achieve? I achieved six out of the 10. Ooh, and so awesome. a lot of it is just having, you know, writing it down and think, you know, it's a, you're, whatever you're speaking to yourself, that, that's usually what happens. Stop the negative talk and, and think about what you're saying because you're putting it out there. You're putting it out in the air. And so people are always saying, Sharon, don't say that. That's negative because when you're negative, you're just asking for it to happen. So I really am mindful about saying positive things most of the time. That's awesome, Sharon. And Did you make it to Maui, Sharon? Huh? Did you accomplish that? Did you make it to Maui in that year? I did. There I did. <laughs> and it was really weird because uh, one of my vendors was going, his family, and they said, why don't you go with us? And it was just I, I like us, and it was like five months after I had written that down. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going. <laughs> so, but. Yeah, I know I quote this Vistage group a lot, but they give me a ton of insight on things. Um, she, my leader, had asked us to make a video, um, really either December 31st or January 1st, to yourself. Obviously, you're not going to show it to anyone, but it's same thing, Sharon. Like you are talking through your goals on what you want to accomplish that next year. And then you have to do the same thing, watch it and see where it led you. But I'm like you, I need it visually. I have the same thing on my board. So I, mm -hmm. I can relate to you there. So Liz, I was going to ask you a question. I know we're getting close to time, so we're going to have to wrap up eventually. And I know that now 100%, we have to just have a show on networking, like hands down full networking show. But, um, Liz, when you've gone through peaks and valleys in your career and maybe you're at a low point and you can say your motivation has ran out, you know, like it may look dark. What advice would you give people when they hit that low spot in their life on how to lift themselves out of that? <clears throat> you know, I think it's probably different for everybody. Um, for me, I I was a single teenage mother and was not able to go to college. So like my son provided me years of fuel, I mean, of motivation, probably 15 years. Um, and so since then, for me, it's setting those big goals. And even, you know, I always have short term goals. What do I what do I want to accomplish today, this week? But for me, I'm always thinking three to five years ahead. And that's what keeps me motivated. Um, I love what Charlie said, because getting to know yourself is huge. And the great thing about the way you described it with waves, when you're in a lull, if you know yourself, you know, the fire is going to come back, you know, you're going to feel the motivation again. And so 
the more you get to know yourself, the more peace you have with that. Like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it today, but that means there's going to be a day next week where I just kick ass, you know? So that's part of it. Um, I've been described as I don't dip my toe, I jump in. So um, getting in over my head sometimes provides me a lot of motivation because uh, the motivation to breathe when you're drowning is intense. And so like frequently, I'm just thinking about big goals. When I set a three to five year goal, it's never one I could attain today. It's never something I could go out and do right now. I know I have to grow and become better before I get to that point of being able to accomplish it. So big goals, I don't dip my toe, I get in over my head, and then I find the motivation to not drown. <laughs> yeah, funny how, and that's an awesome way to think of it, like what leads you to, to have that constant go forward momentum. Christy, I would love to end the show with your comment on that as well. Oh, geez. I was going to say, you know, I don't know if I can talk about Liz's there because that's a great way to um, to even like talk about it. I would say I don't I guess like you, I get in over my head, too, at times because I try to take on everything. I want to help people. I want to be involved in a lot of different things. Um, but I think the one thing for me or maybe several things is you know, the motivation to get that back when you feel like you're just drained and you got to walk away from it is the fact that I'm doing this for all the employees, the family that we have here. Um, I think I've mentioned we have 52 people here. We have some um, employees um, in Columbia through the staffing. We have agent network out there, about 20 agents out there. And if I'm not motivated to do what I need to do, then I fail not only all those people and their families, but my own family and myself. So I think that motivation alone keeps me going, um, knowing that that's what I, that's what my purpose is, is to keep this good. It's not just a few of us, it's a lot of us. And if I don't have that motivation to push forward, that's just gonna be a problem. Like there's just no doubt in my mind that I'm going to do what it takes to get it done. Even if that means reaching out to someone to delegate, to get back to that motivation that I need to get things going. So it's extremely important um, for me that I have that for these people here that are putting their time and effort. They spend more time here with us than their own family. So that's to me is just uh, very important. Well, ladies, we're a little bit over. Great conversation. Like I keep saying, we're going to have another chit chat on networking. Um, but thank you guys for all this insight. I mean, that's what's great about this show. Anyone can learn. I mean, I'm sure you guys all learned. I did. I'm taking notes on things that you guys are saying. It's great. So again, thank you. And I hope everyone has an awesome, long uh, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Looking forward to it. We'll be back the third Wednesday or the last Wednesday, corrected, the last Wednesday of the month. So we will have some uh, notes out there on what our next topic is going to be. And thank you all for watching. Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye.